Welcome to It's Art, Let's Talk About It, a podcast sponsored by the Museum of Western Art in Kerrville, Texas. Located in the heart of the Texas Hill Country, the museum is dedicated to the preservation and promotion of the American West, especially through the art of the West. In this podcast series, we will visit with artists, art collectors, and gallery directors working in the Western art genre. We'll talk about the history and heritage of Western art, and we'll talk about why talking about Western art is so important. I'm Daryl Beecham, the Executive Director of the Museum, and I'll be your host for It's Art, Let's Talk About It. The podcast is a member of the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. In this episode of It's Art, Let's Talk About It, we visit with artist James Muir from Sedona, Arizona. We visit with the award-winning sculptor about what he calls allegorical art and how his work is his story, a story told in clay and bones. And today on It's Art, Let's Talk About It, our guest uh, for the podcast is uh, James Muir, uh, an old friend of mine in the art world and uh, James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's been, we go back a long way, you know, and I want to talk about that for just a second. I was at the Pierce Museum, a brand spanking new museum director, learning my skills. One of the first artists I got a chance to really work with was James Muir, and it like scared me to death. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I remember going out to your studio in Riadosa, and, uh, or Foundry Studio, where you were doing a piece for the Pierce Museums. Uh, yes. called The Letter from Home. And, uh, you know, it was so fun to see it in clay and to, to look through. It was a one-off piece. But um, you bill yourself, and, and you've written a couple of books about it, and, and you're known worldwide for allegorical art. Uh, talk about allegorical art. What in the world is allegorical art? What does it mean to you? Allegorical art is a very, very ancient concept that got lost and confused along the way uh, with, if I may, more of a commercialization of art. And what it really means is allegorical art is art that has an intention to it. And that intention is to speak in terms of symbolism to tell stories. It's an ancient way of artistically telling stories that were teaching, teaching means, especially back when uh, people couldn't read, they couldn't read about history, they couldn't read about uh, most especially the spiritual side of life which is the most critical side of life. And so by using art, figurative and even non-figurative, but using symbology even in figurative art, it allowed uh, the the illiterate uh, masses to be able to learn about life and that has gradually from, oh, around the, the uh, Renaissance era, mm-hmm. uh, almost all art actually was depicting hidden messages in it, uh, the symbolism, mm-hmm. the language of symbolism, 
And I have always been attracted to the spiritual, the metaphysical, actually, aspect of metaphysical, of uh, spiritual. And by using symbolism, see, symbolism is an international language. There are, I forget how many thousand different uh, languages in the world and in uh, variations of languages but by symbolism you don't have to filter what the message is what you're trying to say the intention of what right. you're trying to say through the artificial filter of a specific Almost. language yeah because words mean different things in different languages so as soon as you put something into words, you're automatically limiting the understanding of it. But if you have a symbol, then people interpret what that symbol means without having to go through that filter of a language and, and variations of what those words mean. Did you always know that you were going to be an artist? Oh, Land, no. No, I didn't get into uh, art uh, until I was 35 years old. Why, why, what, what direction were you taking up to that point? Uh, trying to find myself, uh, and by that I mean not so much myself, but what my uh, divine purpose was for this life. And I always had, I was born with, a, uh, with an artistic talent, but I never pursued it, because uh, at that time when I was growing up, the only form of art, uh, two forms, one was commercial art, right. and the other was fine art. So it boiled down to, do you, use your art to make money or do you use it to make no money but express <laughs> but express what you want to express right. but don't count on making a living from doing it unless you're that rare rare uh, genius uh, like we've been blessed with throughout history that can do both Although for the most but in part, your 30s, they don't. In your thirties, what was the moment? That was there a moment, a trigger, or something that said, "You know, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue art for a living." I uh, I had moved to Sedona, Arizona, with my horses, and uh, there was a superb art gallery there, Huesberg Gallery, Allen and Sheila Huesberg. Uh, they're deceased now, bless their hearts. Uh, and I was attracted to this this gallery because I just had an intuitive feeling attraction to particularly sculpture uh, and they also had uh, uh, quite a collection of western memorabilia and specifically I remember uh, McClellan horse equipment stuff there well I've always been uh, uh, actively in pursuit of historical historical truth uh, on the adage, uh, ultimately, that those that don't remember history are condemned to repeat sure. it. And so for me, I saw 
too many instances, whether it be from Hollywood or in books or uh, from the official uh, uh, the official. Uh, it's like the adage of the, the victors write the history. <laughs> That's true. And the official reports of history, yeah. Exactly. Are written by the people who win, yeah. And so it's like if you're going to study history or be exposed to history, then you owe it to yourself and to the world to study and learn the, what was true in history. And it all boils down to truth, which is a central core to my, to my work. Uh, and so uh, I saw the, uh, the art there, but specifically the sculpture. And I just related to sculpture. And ultimately, uh, I'd look at some of the very well-known, uh, even to this day, famous uh, sculptors, uh, and those everywhere in between. And... Uh, I started to see things, of course, like I say, I'd been involved with horses and, and working with horses and, and breaking, I don't call breaking, but uh, training horses. Uh, and so I was into the psychology of the horses as well as the humans as right. best I could. And I'd see instances where uh, a horse, what it was depicted as doing, its mind wasn't there. It was out in the pasture or something, but it was supposed to be a bucking horse, right. you know. And so in all humility, uh, I, I thought, well, that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. I wouldn't do it that way. And then ultimately I started to think, I could do that more, not better artistically at all, because I'm... I'm in awe of of great artists, and like you have here at, at the at the museum, uh, just awesome talent on the walls and in the sculpture and everything. I could never ascribe to even uh, approaching that level, but in my naivete, I guess it was like. I could do that that would put more heart and mind into what that horse was doing. Do you remember your first sculpture? My first sculpture was a little piece. Ironically, I get a kick out of it. I called it Parting Shot. Uh, so to start a career with a parting shot, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I did that piece. I started at about 9 o'clock at night. And, uh, and actually, real quick in between there, I was working uh, cowboying at a ranch outside of Sedona, uh, just trying to make a living. Uh, even though I had the the college degree and the, the background and everything else, I didn't want to do all that. I uh, always wanted to be a cowboy, and I got the cowboy. I would never call myself uh, a cowboy. Neither would any of the cowboys that worked with me. <laughs> and uh, But I did legitimately cowboy. But in the course of that, uh, I found out about a little tiny uh, sculpture foundry there in Sedona. So we were talking about Parting Shot, the very first piece uh, that, that you sculpted. You had talked about how uh, you didn't see the truth in the, in the animal and thought, maybe I can do this better. 
Well, and that's what got me started with it. And then I was working for, uh, I was able to get a job working at a little foundry there. Ended up working there for only five months, but that was my introduction. It has always served me well for not only uh, being able to sculpt, but to know every step of the process to be able to sculpt that is foundry friendly uh, all the way through. Uh, so I worked there, and uh, about the uh, second month or so, third month, and uh, I thought, I'm going to have to see if I'm correct in my intuitive feeling that I can do this. And so about 9 o'clock at night, I had some clay at, uh, where I was staying at the time, and uh, by three in the morning, I had uh, this little bust, just a head and shoulders of uh, what came to be parting shot. And uh, I added a, an arm, and he's cocking a pistol, but he's cocking it, again, with my detailed uh, focus, a certain way that they had the, the cavalry had to cock a, a cap and ball pistol at the time, which was the start of all my detail orientation in uh, applying it to my history uh, pieces. And uh, I took it into uh, uh, Hughesburg's gallery when it was cast. It only cost me $100 a ca cast at the time because <laughs> I was working there, an employee. I took it into Hughesburg's gallery and uh, showed it to him. And he said, I have a client that I think would... Uh, be interested in buying this, how much do you want for it? I said, well, it cost me $100, so I'd sell it for 200 And uh, he said, well, let me send a picture of it to, to this client. And Sheila, his wife, said, no, we're just going to buy it right now. So they bought it right, right then and there, my very first piece. And uh, I came in uh, a day or two later, and there's my little parting shot bust sitting on a pedestal like right next to a Grant Speed <laughs> and in amongst some of the, some of the sure. top uh, sculptors and artists. And that piece, I did 25 of them. They sold it out in uh, 30 days. What did it sell for? Do you remember? Sold for $300. So they made 100 bucks off of it. You yeah. made 100 bucks off of it, everybody is. Exactly. And uh, so then I uh, got inspired in my, my second piece, uh, was uh, supposed to be two bank robbers caught in the, out in the street, one's on a horse and the other's on the ground. And uh, I, I got stuck with it. It just wasn't working. And uh, so that's why I took a little break and did that little breaker's break piece because, like I say, I used to break horses too. And uh, so Alan, uh, he, saw, he called me Jim. And he was Swedish, so he said, Jim, 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 do what you know. You don't know cowboys and bank robbers. You know cavalry, because I had given right. him all the history of the, the cavalry military artifacts he had. So I went back that night, and I changed it over to uh, two cavalrymen, and it became Rescue Under Fire. And it works. And it worked. Yeah. And uh, he bought one himself. A client bought one, and again, within 30 days, there were only 15 of them in the edition, 
it sold out the whole edition in 30 days. And the last one that sold, uh, sold that afternoon, it was sold for double what it, what it sold for. And so that was the start of my career. It was like instant, uh, instant career. You know, we talk to artists all the time who, you know, who labor and toil for years and years before they ever sell anything. And you know, here's almost an exact opposite story. It is. This, this was, so this was literally an overnight success. It had been bottled up in you for all that time, and all of a sudden you just it oh. released. Well, and I, of course, I believe everything is my, I could go in detail after detail of how a guiding hand guided everything right, right. I've done in life, from, from West Point uh, to what I'm doing now. Uh, that guiding hand guides everyone, but we have to surrender to it. Right. And we have to recognize it's there in order to surrender to it. And so for me, it I look back on it and say, well, I at 35 years old, I didn't have time to spend half a lifetime studying art <laughs> and learning it, so I had to do it on the job training. I had to learn and study as I as I created the pieces. And for that has worked for uh, 43 years. And it's always been, uh, it started off with, uh, even though I could have gone strictly uh, Western art, cowboys and Indians and such, uh, that was too limiting for me, if I may. Uh, because with, initially, I mean, by the second year, I understood, it was pointed out to me, what I was doing was allegoric art, art filled with symbolism. I had a story to tell. And that story had to be without boundaries, without fences. Right. And while my, what I initially got known for was my Indian War cavalry, military, right. uh, and then that branched into some Civil War, same thing. Each time telling a story that could best be told through that genre. At that time, and still to this day, but especially at that time, my focus was on depicting courageousness. Uh, but there was that story. And that has expanded now to include uh, a 33-foot uh, Christ crucifix at the chapel of the Holy Cross well, in well, Sedona. Let's talk about your, your monumentals because, I mean, my first exposure to you was a, a life-size work um, that we did for the Pierce Museum called Letter from Home. And uh, I thought, you know, at the time that was, that was huge. But then in, I did too. <laughs> in Sedona, you know, and in Sedona, Arizona at the, at the chapel, um, you know, there's a 32 foot, 30 some odd foot, you know, Christ on the cross. Yeah, and, 33 feet. And you're also known for Caduceus and and several of the monumentals. Uh, Texas A&M has several, you know. Yes. In their campus, and talk about that whole, you know, it's what inspired you to do bigger than, bigger than. Well, life. some stories, because uh, there's always been a message. I'm here. I'm just an instrument. This, I, and this is part of why I can't claim credit for my success or my talent. Uh, it's like Rush Limbaugh used to say, with talent on loan, on loan from God. <laughs> and that sounds hubris, but it's not. Right. It's a statement of fact. 
that in order to tell the story, to focus in my own particular uh, spectrum of, of my experience of my art on the divine story about humanity and the relationship to the divine and to each other, uh, there's no limits to that, like there's no limits to God. And so while initially, and I loved and still love the historical aspect and everything, but that focus on the historical allowed me to tell messages that could be addressed to all different kind of areas. I've addressed the, the, the legal area, right. uh, the pay, um, everything is patriotic uh, at, at the bottom line uh, for doing American art. And so it's been liberating for me and for my uh, collectors to not be limited in what I do, but I can depict uh, an Apache Indian uh, like Broken Arrows, uh, but just telling a story, uh, or... Uh, a caduceus uh, uh, or the any of the big pieces needed they were too big of a story to do with a tabletop size they needed the the the, the magnitude because it was a bold strong story right. to tell uh, and art used to be and this is the beauty that I see uh, with Western art. Uh, and like you have here at the Museum of Western Art, that is so invigorating to me because when you look at the superb art you've got here, for example, these artists are telling stories. Right. They're telling stories about the highest and best of human nature, of humankind, no matter if it's a simple story, a pastoral piece or something, and the cowboy resting there or with his, his girlfriend, or you can flip that over and make it an Indian with his girlfriend. Right. It's the human commonality. You don't have to specify in language with it. People pick up positive side and say, oh, that's wonderful. Modern art has lost its intention. It's only intention, no, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> Let's talk real quickly about about the, the piece that's in the current show, uh, 40 Years of Western Art. Uh, it's, a, it's a moment of Custer's, at Custer's Last Stand, the battle of, for Little Bighorn. Um, and your collector, Pablo Brinkman is just so excited, you know, that when I, I said I was looking for a work by James, I called, of course, your, your wife, Linda, which we'll talk about here in a moment, and, you know, Pablo said, oh, no, 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 you're going to borrow mine. <laughs> he was so passionate about that. That piece speaks to him. It speaks to a lot of people. Everybody's standing around staring at it. Um, you know, it was one of those moments where you wanted to isolate a, a moment in time at, at a, a particular battle. You've got... You guys shooting in all directions, and it's just a fabulous work. And the, I've always, 
I've always felt and learned to recognize that uh, good art, but especially good sculpture, because I don't even draw. To me, it's too limiting to try to put a five-dimensional concept onto a two-dimensional surface. But I'm in awe of painters that can do it. Uh, that piece, every detail about that is historically accurate, down to the buckles on the right. horse harness and so on and so forth, which is just uh, uh, idiosyncrasy, you could say, of me, uh, Pachant, to have every little, down to the buttons on the coat, uh, the, the styles, uh, accurate. That piece is uh, an epitome example of the historical aspect. Sculpture, I learned early on, it has to grab your attention in the profile before you see detail or anything from across the room, it should grab you and say, oh, I gotta go look at that. All too often, uh, I haven't seen any of it here, obviously, because here, the closer you get, the more you are enraptured by the, by the art, because you've got such superb artists here. Uh, but all too often, uh, I would see something that attracted me from across the room, but the closer I got, by the time I got to it, it just lost all my attention. Right. They didn't render it to the same standard as the artistic design was. The June 25th, 1876, uh, is, I mean, I did that my second year of sculpting. In, no kidding. In, in 1982. Wow. And, uh, it's a classic example of what I was telling about, how I'm telling a story. All the details, that's just icing on the cake right. that I got known for. Oh, it's, I've had pieces that were used in a college-level history class to tell people, show the right. students exactly what it really was like. That's what you're, one of the things you're known for is that in, uh, beautiful detail look at the detail on a work right I've but had, the, the detail artist look up and go wow that buckles exactly right and things i wouldn't notice necessarily because i'm looking at the right paper. i've had some of them right. historical best uh, historians uh, look at my work and say wow and that's know. because of your years of study and your, your well i've just always been since right. a kid interested in history but the key is and one of the points that I've always wanted to have to, in my mind, kind of clarify is my art is not about the detail. The detail is icing on the cake. Right, right. It's the story. And that piece is a classic case. So that grabs you. That literally right. grabs you from across the room. And by the time you're up there, you're spending the next 20 minutes just turning around, <laughs> looking at all the little things, looking at the expressions on the face, looking at how if you look backwards from the muzzle of the guns, you're right into the, the guy's eyeball where he's, he's aiming. But the story of that that is being depicted is courageousness. Right. Because in, uh, and that's why so many of my early pieces were focused on military subjects, because right. we can relate to courage under that. Uh, and in the face of death, certain death, uh, humanity either comes up coward or hero. And 
Again, in keeping with always depicting the highest and best, this June 25th depicts the highest and best because these two troopers, they're, they're buddies. They call them bunkies because yeah. they bunk together type of thing. Uh, they are being attacked. They're in the retreat, uh, Reno's retreat right. from, from the valley. They're surrounded by Indians. A lot of the, the guys were panic-stricken. They were just being pulled off their horses, clubbed over the head with the tomahawks and stuff. They were scared, spitless, and just trying to get out of there. These guys have said, hey, if we're going to die, we're going to go down bravely. And in the, I always admired the ancient samurai where whenever they could, they would fight back to back each one protecting his fellow warriors blindside. That's what these guys these are doing. These two guys are shooting in opposite directions. They're shooting yeah. in opposite yeah. direction. Not just that's out of survival, but to protect and make sure his bunkie, right. his fellow soldier, survives too. That's courageousness. How many works do you think you've done in your career? Not as many as really outstanding artists do. I've done something like 154 or something like that. I figured out once that I, I sculpted 254 hands. <laughs> so There you go. Kind of, but I, it, it's, it's somewhere 150 or something. Speaking of top hands, let's, let's talk for a second. For uh, somebody who's been a, an, an important part of my life getting to know you, and that is your wife, Linda. Oh, uh, I never talk knew, about the power behind the throne. <laughs> I never knew James Muir without knowing Linda Muir. You know, in, in the thirty some odd years we've known each other, and it's always been Linda and James, and James and Linda. You know, and um, I introduced you, you know, recently at that at our fortieth anniversary banquet, and uh, you know I can't just introduce James without saying, man, what a force Linda Muir is. Oh, she is. She's the driving force. Uh, all credit goes to God, first and yeah. foremost. But with that understanding, uh, we came into this world individually to come together to create what I've been blessed with being able to hands, be the hands to create it. Uh, the guidance came from God, but the mechanics of, of all of this, hands down, uh, is due to Linda, uh, and it's it's that duality. It's the 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 yin and the yang, the right. feminine and the masculine, the the heart and the head. Uh, I've got, in spite of a degree in business, which is only like I say, the only thing I remember from that is buy high, sell low. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I am, and that's why. I didn't quite click uh, with the military career that I started out with at West Point uh, because I'm heart. As artists generally come from the heart, right. uh, that's been kind of changed to where you get, they do the head to get the commercial side of it and, and all, but all too often it's uh, at the expense of the heart. Artists owe it to ourselves and to the creator to produce from the heart, because that's where God is. God's in the heart. God's not in the head. God's mm -hmm. in the heart. 
And so I have difficulty uh, sometimes, increasingly, over the last 42 years, 43 years, uh, relating to the world from a mental, mechanical level. That's where Linda is. She's both heart, but she's also incredibly sharp with the mind. And uh, she keeps me on track. Well, you've been very blessed to have a career that you've had in the the 40 years of Western Art exhibition that you're currently in at the Museum of Western Art. You know, one of the things we tried to select were were people who've made an impact in that 40 years. And you look back over your career since that first parting shot. Do you you feel like you've made an impact in the Western art world? It's hard for me to to identify that because I don't think about my own status and 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 everything. I'm just a humble sculptor that's well, been blessed yeah, but I was with a talent. People, but yeah. I, I I've reckoned, somebody asked me once in an interview. Said what what is what do you think your legacy is? And I said I never even thought of a legacy. <laughs> I don't even I had to figure out what it is. But I have come to recognize that yes, uh, my art has after 43 years. It's a physical legacy that I'm leaving, not about James Nathan Muir, the person, necessarily, other than every piece that I have done in all these years is a biographical, three-dimensional, ideally five-dimensional, rendering of what I went through in my life on my way back to God is what I tell people. And in my books, uh, my books are not autobiographical, except they are chronological in a way, especially the first one, because it shows my path, as I say, back to God. And if people can identify with that piece, then by knowing the, the story behind it, the symbolism behind it, maybe what they're really identifying with is themselves on their own journey right. back to God. Do you have a favorite among all the works you've ever done? Yes. Care to explain which one that was? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those trick questions, artists. I ask that question, I, you know, I, a lot I of do, artists. I do have a favorite from a personal perspective, uh, and that's a piece I did called Liberté. Okay. And it's certainly not Western art or anything. It's uh, a uh, pattern after the Statue of Liberty. Uh, she's looking up. Two of the the uh, rays are gone. The seventh one, which is a mm-hmm. spiritual ray, it's rendered asunder. We don't know where that went to anymore. Uh, the sixth one, the six is the number of responsibility. It's behind her back like a dagger as a warning to tyranny, uh, and she has a tear. She's looking heavenward, and she has a tear. And she's, the pedestal is just a, a head, uh, but the pedestal is the broken tablet uh, that the Statue of Liberty has of July 4th, 1776. Uh, and my wife and I, we got married on the 4th of July. That's how patriotic I am. But it's more than just patriotism to America. That's the, the, the icon of it. 
uh, it's about human liberty. When I never knew it, but uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was awarded, uh, I was in RTC, and I was awarded from the uh, Sons of the American Revolution, which I've yeah. for years become a life member of it, and uh, a little statue of liberty, and it was called the Human Liberty Award. And that piece, uh, all these years later, uh, came to identify what I was really about. It's about human liberty, human physical liberty, but above and beyond even human mental, uh, mental liberty, it's about human spiritual liberty. To f you shall knew, know the truth and the truth shall set you free is a spiritual concept that needs to be applied to the world and everyday world that we live in. And so that in essence is a summation of what I'm about, is helping through my art to bring an awareness of and a pursuit of, and it takes courage, uh, human liberty. Jay, we appreciate your time today. <laughs> it's art, let's talk about it. And I know you were a little uh, concerned that you might not be able to fill up an entire podcast, but... No, so, I was concerned that I couldn't limit it. To so, so eloquently said, you know, and we appreciate all the support you've given the Museum of Western Art and me personally over the years. And, uh, you know, it's such an honor to have you in, in exhibitions here at the museum. And, and uh, you know, congratulations on what I think is a phenomenal career and, and all the best for things to come. Well, thank you. But let me in turn, uh, if I may, uh, blow my horn on your behest, too, because... The Museum of Western Art is tremendously honored by and a benefactor of your role here. Oh, you're very kind. Thank what you. you have done. And I also want to thank uh, Pablo Brinkman for making this connection, reconnection, with you here and to give us an opportunity to come back here and see what a, an incredible job you have done with this museum. Well, thank you for saying so. And our guest today has been James Muir, allegorical artist and a great friend of the museum and, and myself personally. And James, uh, thank you for, for joining us today on It's Art. Let's talk about it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of It's Art. Let's Talk About It, a production of the Museum of Western Art in Kerrville, Texas. We hope you'll visit the museum in person. We're located at 1550 Bandera Highway in Kerrville, Texas. Find out more about us by going to www.museumofwesternart.com. And we hope you'll join us next time for It's Art, Let's Talk About. It. The podcast is produced by the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network.